0: So nice to see you all here this morning. Apologies for the uh, temperature in the room. Uh, We are working on it. If you've got a Bible, dig it out and uh, turn with me to the book of Philippians. And if you've been here over the past uh, few weeks, we've been doing a a series. We've been looking at the story of the Bible. We've been kind of looking at the whole narrative arc of the Scriptures. And what we've been trying to do is... um, break it all down into sort of uh, six bite-sized uh, chunks as, as, as best we possibly can. And we began by looking at um, the creation narrative. We began by looking at uh, where the kingdom begins. And then we moved on to the fall, uh, where the kingdom falls apart, uh, where the kingdom rebels. Last week, we took a whistle-stop tour of the Old uh, Testament. We started in Genesis Uh, chapter 12, where the the kingdom sort of begins again. Uh, This week, we're going to be looking at Jesus as the king brings his kingdom. He ushers in his kingdom. Next week, we've got the church as the kingdom is extended. And then finally, we've got new creation when the king returns to rule and reign forever and ever. And one of the things, hopefully, you will have seen over and over and over again as we've been unpacking this Narrative arc is is the heart that God has for um, relationship. There's something in the very something at the very core of God's nature that is actually all about relationship. The Trinity reflects it, creation uh, declares it, and God is a God who wants to be, who longs to be, who desires to be, who yearns to be in right relationship with us as His sons and daughters, and and his desire to be in right relationship with us is so that we can be in right relationship with him, that we can be in right relationship with ourselves, we can be in right relationship with one another, and we can be in right relationship with the world in which we live. And you know, when you think about it, Christianity at its heart, it, it isn't about religion at all. That was never really part of the plan. Christianity at its heart is all about relationships. That's what it's all about. And and one of the words that we've been using over the past few weeks to describe um, these relationships, this idea of uh, of flourishing and thriving in all areas of our lives, is this word um, shalom. We've talked about shalom and how this shalom, this well-being, this uh, sense of fulfillment, this connectedness and this interdependence, if you like, uh, how these things were always part of God's original plan, his original design, his original Um, intent, but what we saw when we looked at the fall uh, was we saw that things didn't really quite go according to plan, and Adam and Eve chose um, not to trust God's word, Uh, and they they chose not to trust God's uh, love for them, and as a result, fragmentation and uh, brokenness found its way into our relationship with God, it found its way into our relationship with ourselves, it found its way into our relationship with one another, often, most often with the people we love the most. And it found its way into the world in which we live. And um, this sin, the effects of which uh, we still live with uh, on a daily basis, we live with it in our own lives and we see it and experience it in our own lives. And we see and experience it in the lives of those around us. But you've got this remarkable turn of events Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, straight after the fall that we see uh, happening in Genesis chapter 3, far from encountering the the wrath of God and the anger of God, the judgment of God, or of God abandoning us. Again, we see this longing that God has for relationship with us, and that desire that he has for meaningful relationship with us causes us, in that moment, of brokenness to come near to us and to whisper these prophetic, words over us, uh, that one will come who will crush the head of sin and death. And in and through um, these words, straight away, as soon as the fall happens, God is paving the way for healing and redemption and restoration and salvation. And uh, in the very depths of our despair, God whispers this message of hope that one will come with healing on his wings, and that the Son of God himself will come and uh, become the curse he will become the curse that we might be blessed, that Jesus will come, and he himself at the cross will take on the curse so that we might be a blessing and, and somehow in jesus coming, he will restore to us uh, the calling that God has had on humanity from the very beginning uh, and then reiterated in that covenant promise that he made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that we looked at uh, last week. and. And what we saw again from last week with the narrative arc of the Old Testament is that throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, God is reaching forward. He's leaning into. He's he's reaching out to Israel. And uh, God is demonstrating all the time his faithfulness to Israel uh, in spite of their sort of seeming reluctance again to not trust him and to not choose to believe uh, his love for them. And um, Israel finds themselves again in captivity. This time they're oppressed under the Romans. They're scattered, they're dispersed, they're disposed of their land, their, their nation. They're seemingly far from God. They're far from being a light to the nations and all the things that God had called them to be back in Genesis uh, chapter 12. But at that point, we see that the stage is now set for the coming of the king uh, to announce and to inaugurate uh, his kingdom rule and reign. And so we find ourselves at the beginning of the Gospels. We've gone through the sort of trauma and the challenge and the difficulty and wrestling and grappling with the Old Testament. We've gone through that silence of the intertestament periods and, and the Gospels open. And as the Gospels open, we hear the writers declare that the time has come, the kingdom of, of heaven is near, the kingdom of God is near. And um, for us to get some idea of who this Jesus is, rather than uh, take you through the Gospel accounts, you know, where you can read all about uh, what Jesus did to sort of demonstrate and, and signpost and, and inaugurate uh, what the kingdom is like. Uh, I thought this morning, I felt like we should have a look at a passage from uh, Philippians chapter 2, actually, which I uh, think beautifully describes who this um, Jesus is. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse um, 6. He's talking about Jesus and he says this. This is Paul the Apostle writing. He says, Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness Father, we thank you for the scriptures, we thank you for your presence with us, we thank you f- that you're here with us and that you um, want to speak to us, you want to touch us, you want to fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would have your way with us, that you'd unpack and open the scriptures to us, in Jesus' name, amen. And in these few stunning verses, um, Paul is, what Paul's really trying to do is he's trying to t- bring together this some idea about who Jesus is. And these, these verses, they're actually like an early church hymn. They're sort of like a, an early uh, worship song. And, and Paul, very kindly thinking of preachers in the years to come, he sort of very kindly sort of divides the, the movement into two parts so that we can have like two points because, you know, we can't really function without like points. Uh, we don't know how to do anything without points. And so in verses 6 to 8, we see the humiliation of Christ. And then in verses 9 to 11, we see the exaltation of Christ. And we've got this graphic and and beautiful description of this coming king, this Jesus who's ushering in his kingdom. And it it opens with this humiliation. It opens with the humiliation of Jesus. It it opens with the humiliation of the very Son of God. And then it, it, it reaches its climax in the culmination of of his glorious um, exaltation. So have a look at verses um, six to eight, because these verses, actually they're telling us something really startling, really stunning about um, Christianity. They're telling us something really startling about the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And by starting with the the humiliation of Christ, what, what Paul is effectively saying is that this kingdom that Jesus is bringing, this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in, it all begins, it all starts, not with us trying to get to God. It's not about us trying to get to Him. It, it all begins with God coming to us. It starts with God reaching out His hand. It starts with God saying to us, Do You know what? I have a way to restore all of the brokenness. I, I have a way to um, reconnect and restore. And mend and fix all the broken relationships. I, I have a way to restore shalom uh, to the world. I have a way to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And his name is Jesus. So this, this King Jesus who comes with God's kingdom of peace and of reconciliation, of restoration and shalom. He, he comes not in glory. He comes in humility. He comes in actually in humiliation. And uh, even though Jesus is in his very nature God, he chooses to make himself nothing. He takes on the, the nature of a servant and is made in human likeness. And this very God who comes in humiliation. He, he doesn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped, or something to be held on to, or something to be used to his own advantage. The more recent translations have it. But instead, what he does, is he makes himself nothing. And that means more literally, he, he just empties himself. Jesus empties himself. And this emptying of himself means that as Jesus brings his kingdom, he's not holding on to, he's not using as leverage, if you like, his divinity or his status as very God. And that doesn't mean that he has set aside the fullness of his divinity. We have to be careful about this because, as we all know, that Jesus was fully divine, fully, fully human, fully God, fully man. But what it does mean is it means that Jesus has used his divine Personhood to give of himself. His choice is to give of himself, to empty himself, to lay it all down rather than to get for himself. Jesus chooses to use his position to empty himself and to spend himself and to give himself away. And, and this, is an ex- this is an extraordinary glimpse into the very heart and the very nature of God. This is the very... Heart of the King and the Kingdom that He is bringing. You know, so many people when they think about God, if they think about God at all, they think about Him as some megalomaniac in the sky. And so many people just don't realize who God is and what He is like. Our God is a God who empties Himself. Our God is a God who pours Himself out for the other. He pours Himself out. Oh. Oh my gosh! Right, it's okay? Oh, am I, am I still alive? still alive? See what happens. He, he's a God who pours Himself out. He pours Himself out for you. He pours Himself out for me. He he, he pours Himself out like a, he's like a drink offering, as Paul so, talks about. Ladies, he doesn't. Paul doesn't talk about this, but God is is basically like a great big like fire hydrant. Like imagine imagine that. Imagine God like this great big fire hydrant and uh, lavishing upon us all, grace upon grace upon abundant grace. That's just what he's doing. And what's the best thing that any of us can do in order to honor and to respond to such abundant grace, to such lavish grace, to such mercy, to such kindness, to such a gift? The most honoring thing that we can do is actually just to simply receive all of that goodness that he is giving instead of us saying you know no i've got to i've got to give back to god you know i must i must work must work harder. Must pray harder. Must adopt this Protestant work ethic and uh, strive and uh, you know, kind of keep keep going. I must must read my Bible more. You know, like I, I'm I'm behind on my Bible in a year. I've failed. I'm a terrible Christian. God must hate me by now because it's only January. Well, now it's February, but like I'm already a year behind. I, I need to fast more. I hate fasting. I need to fast more, but I'm starving all the time. I'm useless. I'm terrible. I, I need to give more. I haven't got anything to give anymore, but I've got to give more. I feel terribly guilty that I haven't given more. I've, got to, I've just got to work harder at being a Christian. You know, Then maybe I'll be acceptable to God. Instead of all of that, you know, and all of that just comes out of this place of trying to do all the right things and eventually you get to a ripe old age and I think I need to give up on all of that it's just not working Um, and we do it because it's well intentioned but we do it because somewhere we think that maybe God will love us more and maybe um, he'll accept us more you know because we know how terrible we are we know how wretched we are and we just think that actually we can cover up our wretchedness by reading more of the bible and and praying harder and, and starving ourselves for longer and and then maybe we'll, God will forgive us more. Um, you know, I think that God, um, as we see in these verses in Philippians, I think God would just have us just go, you know what, just, just relax. Just rest. Just sit back into the goodness of his grace. There's an invitation for us to just literally lie back in his arms and rest our head on his chest and stop striving. Stop working so hard to be accepted and acceptable in his sight. Stop working so hard to earn and receive his love. Just receive him. I think that's the invitation as we allow ourselves not to strive and just sit back and just take into ourselves all of the love and mercy and kindness and goodness and grace that God just keeps Pouring out on us all, He keeps lavishing upon us all. It's just this endless torrent of love and grace and kindness and mercy and goodness. And um, so, as Jesus comes with His kingdom, I think all we need to do is just say, "I'm just going to receive God's goodness and grace. I'm just going to stand in the way of the fire hose of His." Lavish and abundant grace. And all I'm going to do is I'm just going to let that grace and all of that goodness. I'm just going to let it come into my life and I'm just going to let it fill me up and then allow that, allow God's goodness and grace and his presence and his mercy and his kindness. I'm going to allow all of that to free me from my endless addictions. I'm going to allow all of that to free me and set me free from all of my endless insecurities. I'm going to allow all of that just to permeate and to penetrate my heart because at the end of the day, I know that I know that I know that without him I can do absolutely nothing nothing i I know that i can't work my way up to receiving this grace i can't earn it i don't deserve it no matter how long my quiet time is no matter how many weeks i fast and you know don't hear me wrong all of those things are great things right i'm not knocking those things they are all great things but they all come out of first and foremost receiving god's goodness and mercy and grace the receipt of God's goodness and mercy and grace comes first. And out of that, our desire to read the scriptures and to pray and to fast and to give and all of that. It all comes out of that. And so really I think what we're saying is I'm saying is I, I just simply want to receive um, God's free gift of salvation and wholeness and healing. I want to receive that free gift into my whole being. I, I just want to receive the, the gift of faith that I can't muster up, that just comes into my being because he is so kind. I'm just going to simply receive the gift of healing and transformation and the change I so desperately long for. I'm just going to receive that into the very core of my being because he is so kind and because he is so good. I'm just going to receive as much of the kingdom of God as God wants to pour on me and in me and through me. And just like a sponge, I'm just going to sit back and relax into the goodness of God's grace for me and soak up his presence in the knowledge that his grace is sufficient for me and that his power is made perfect in my very abundant and plentiful weakness. So as God pours himself out, what happens is in and through the person of Jesus to usher in the kingdom and he brings about salvation and redemption and Restoration, what we've got is we've got this echo of um, Isaiah 53 where you've got the suffering servant of God. And he, he, he quite literally, Jesus quite literally empties his lifeblood. He, he pours out himself, literally the, empties the contents of his veins um, for the sin of the world. And in that emptying, we see Jesus um, fully, alive, fully divine and fully man choosing to become like every single one of us. He enters into our experience and our actual lives. And he, in that moment where he sets aside uh, his divinity in that sense and, and, and lays that aside and becomes and takes on the form of a, of a human, he, he's choosing to experience and encounter all the things that we experience. So he chooses to experience what it's like to be hungry and what it's like to, to be tired and what it's like to be thirsty and uh, what it's like to be tempted. He chooses to know and understand and experience what it's like to be tempted in exactly the same ways that every single one of us is tempted every single day. And he chooses to have nails run through his hands. He chooses to have nails run through the hand of God. And You know, as an aside, you know, when you consider the miracles of Jesus, you think about, you're reading the Gospels and you you come across all like these miracles of Jesus, you know, he heals uh, blind people and and the deaf and he raises the dead. You know, when you read those things, how do you, how are you thinking of them? Like, how do you. How do you think of them? Do you? What I mean is, do you, do you say to yourself, you know, well, Jesus could do that. I mean, like he's Jesus, right? And so, like Jesus could do that. I can't do that, but Jesus can do that. You know, Jesus can do anything. He's kind of like, he's like God after all. He's like got superpowers. Jesus is a bit like a, a superhero, and so he can do anything he fancies. Is that how we think of the miracles as Jesus performs them? Is that what's kind of going on in the back of? We wouldn't admit it, obviously, because that would be ridiculous. But like in the back of our head. Is that what we're thinking? Or do we think that Jesus did his miracles exactly the way that we would if only we could grasp the heart of God and were filled with the Spirit of God? Because the reality is that Jesus performs all these miracles uh, as a man, as a human being, in total and utter dependence on God, waiting for the movement of God. He rests in and relies on the spirit of God and he operates in utter um, surrender and confident faith. That's how the miraculous was made manifest in the life of Jesus. And what do we see Jesus doing so often in the gospels? He's healing the sick and he's raising the dead and he's doing all those kind of marvellous, marvellous things that we all kind of like, well, I want to be able to do that. Like, Wouldn't it be awesome if I did die? like i, can't, I can't wander around and heal the sick and open the eyes of the blind and blah, blah, blah. Let's, I'd love to do that. But you know what we also see Jesus doing as well as all of that? So often, so many times throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus taking himself off to a quiet place. We see Jesus choosing to take himself away to spend time in the presence of God and just rest, just rest in God's presence and rest in prayer. And, and you know, when you look at Jesus doing that, it wasn't like some... Uh, act. It wasn't like, oh, you know, he woke up one day and goes, right, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be modeling something to these useless disciples, so I better get up really early. I don't really fancy it. But, you know, if they don't see me getting up early, then they'll never learn, right? You know, they were all asleep, right? So they wouldn't have even noticed that he'd crept out. He didn't do this stuff just, or all the time, just to teach the disciples how to pray or whatever. This withdrawal, this spending time in God's presence, this was Jesus' lifeline. This was literally Jesus' life. Blood. Jesus had to be utterly dependent on the Spirit of God. Jesus really needed to lean into the voice of the Father because he meant it when he said, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. This is how we make sense of the person of Christ, fully God and yet choosing to live and breathe as um, fully man. And these verses in Philippians, they show us the mystery. Again, oh my gosh, this mystery. We sort of our Greek influence mindset can't stand it. But it's this Hebrew way of thinking about things. It's this kingdom way of thinking about things that actually it's not either or. It's both hand. Like, "Whoa! please make it either or. Please make it black and white. We love black and white. And God says, mm, no, it's both and. Let's live in the gray a little. We're like, oh, I hate gray. Jesus is, this, this mystery that we've got right here is in this both and. And Jesus is fully God, very God, eternal God. Yes, we can get that. And at the same time, he is fully man. One man, our Lord, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Like, how, how do we reconcile those things? And as we consider um, who this Jesus is, Paul is always telling, them. when you read the, all, any of Paul's writings, he's always saying, you know, don't ever look at the person of Christ without looking through the lens of the work of Christ. Um, because these things go together, they dovetail together. So in verse 8, you've got, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbles himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross and when we look at the incarnation we are to look at the incarnation of Christ through the cross because it's always the cross that gives us a proper understanding of everything that's going on and and more importantly like who it is that is hanging there so the the humiliation of Christ um, it goes deep because this very God chooses to make himself human there's a humiliation there and and then it, it goes further down to the very depths of humiliation. And then it goes even further with this being a coming obedient to death and even death on a cross. That humiliation just goes down and down and down and down to the very, very depths of degradation and humiliation. And that's where we find Jesus. You know, how is it that Jesus completes this work of salvation that God has asked him to do. Jesus Jesus did the work of salvation as, as only one could by being fully man and by being fully God. Jesus came to be the mediator between God and man, this one mediator. And as that mediator, his hand is on the cross and it's one hand is reaching, and it has to reach. It has to reach for this to work. It has to reach all the way to God. Um, and, and the other hand has to reach, and it, ha- it has to reach. It has to make it all the way, all the way to humanity. And there can be no gaps. There can be no wafer-thin line between those two things. It has to reach all the way. Jesus couldn't have stretched almost to God, but not quite. Jesus couldn't have reached almost to us, but not quite. It wouldn't have been enough unless Jesus were fully God, and the ignominy of the cross were laid upon him as God's own son, fully divine. Um, it wouldn't have been enough. It wouldn't have been enough if, if, if Jesus just looked like a man but really wasn't human. And he, he didn't have like a rational soul or an irrational most of the time, uh, but a human spirit. If he hadn't had those things fully, it wouldn't. Have worked. And so, for there to be salvation, for there to be redemption, for the shalom of the kingdom to come in all of its fullness, for our relationship with God and ourselves and with one another and with the world in which we live, for all of those broken relationships to be fully restored and have the potential and the opportunity of restoration and salvation and healing and wholeness, for it all to be fully renewed, there could be no gaps. Jesus had to bridge the gap all the way to God as fully God and all the way to us as fully man. And so when we look at the cross it's very, very important that what we see there is God himself dying on the cross as a man becoming our curse. And in so doing he breaks the curse. And I don't think anyone puts it better than C.S. Lewis in um, The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe when he talks about a deeper magic. It says this, it says, It means, replied Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a deeper magic still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes only back to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And it's this triumph, it's that breaking of the curse that leads us to verses 9 to 11 um, in uh, Philippians, the exaltation of Christ. Therefore, God exalted him I believe that, you know, God looks at Jesus and looks on Jesus' act of self-sacrifice, on his whole choosing um, to live for others in utter surrender and to choose to live in total obedience to the Father as the kind of life that God highly favors, as the kind of lives that we are to lead as we live in the kingdom of God. This is what life in the kingdom of God is to look like. By... You know, choosing a life that's not about jostling or wrangling for position or status, but instead choosing to just empty ourselves, choosing to just lay it all down, choosing um, total and complete surrender to God, taking on the very example of the life of Christ, we become Christ like. It's like, it's like proper, like, what is that? It's like, what happened to the ding, 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 ding? <laughs> The ringtones of old. So we, sack, we just empty ourselves. We pour out ourselves. We spend ourselves. We just become utterly obedient to, we take on the model of Jesus. It's what it's there for. It's, it's there as a model and as an example to us. And. You know, the kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated, it it lives on and is passed on and is extended to us and through us as we become Christ followers. We rest in God's grace and we follow in Christ's steps. And the profound reality that's revealed by Jesus as he ushers in his kingdom is that our lives are in fact, as followers of Jesus, we are called these are is, this is the hallmark, these are the characteristics of what our lives are supposed to look like. They are supposed to be dominated by the same kind of selfless, self-giving, putting others first attitude as Christ had. Which, to me, seems utterly impossible. I am like totally selfish. And yet, I'm being called to be utterly selfless. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I I can't do that. The good news is that even though this is impossible when we're left to ourselves, because of Jesus' transformation of our hearts and our lives, because he has saved us, because he has redeemed us, and he has done so from the inside out, because he has given us his life and his heart as the foundation of ours, and because in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is at work within us, we actually can live life like that. We actually can be transformed with ever-increasing glory. I know you get tired of me saying that. We can be transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus, and we can be selfless. We can empty ourselves. We can spend ourselves and sacrifice ourselves. We can live in utter obedience before the Lord. We can actually live and walk and do life in the fullness of the kingdom. And we can carry the kingdom shalom wherever we go. We can do that. Not in our own strength, but because of him who strengthens us. And so in our relationships with one another, which is, that's how Paul starts this whole song in in verse 5. He says, you know, in your relationships with one another, um, we truly can have the same mindset of Christ. Being able to spend ourselves like Jesus as we pour ourselves out like a drink offering in the service and in the sacrifice of others. Um, For that really is the stuff of the kingdom and that's the stuff that Jesus the king is ushering in. So simple. Why don't you stand?